All right, good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. I'm Pastor Dave, and uh, always great to be here at uh, Taste Valley Campus. Tony, I noticed how quickly you avoided the front row for the second row. <clears throat> I can still reach you there, though. Thanks, uh, Luke and Aubrey. Uh, for doing such a great job, not just this morning, but uh, at this campus, holding down the fort, keeping things going, and doing their ministries well. And if you are a recipient of their ministry, would you just give them a little hand today? I think they're doing a great job. And if I forget to say this, after the service... Uh, many of you have been watching the modular out here. This was a donated modular, and we've put some money in it to get it there and to fix it up. And it is getting closer and closer to where we want it. Um, so today, if you'd like to go down there and walk through, I think it's cleaned up enough that you can walk through. Tony Stillwell here has been leading the charge on that uh, remodel, and uh, he's he's going to have it open after service. So if you want to walk down there, it's just just open space, but you can kind of envision, see some of the work we've done, go out on the back deck, and really from the back side, it looks really finished, you know, uh, but we got a lot to do. We've got some the front drive at work to do and some underpinning and also uh, inside. <clears throat> so thank you, Tony. You've done a great job there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, welcome to the uh, elementary kids. Thank you for being in here. Uh, you know, you you either back there and want to be out here, or you're out here and you want to be back there. So one Sunday every quarter, we want you out here to see what it feels like for you to be out here. And hopefully it's not traumatizing to you. Uh, Luke and Aubrey work hard to, uh, to engage you. And I hope that some of the things you hear today will be engaging. If you, if you picked up a little clipboard back there in the back as you came in, how many of you did? Hold them up if you did. <clears throat> Anybody got any? I see a couple. I see a couple. If you didn't get one, feel free to make your way back there right outside the door. There are some words you might hear, and you can circle them on your paper. And so you can kind of, that's called active listening. You can listen to what I'm going to say. So as Luke pointed out, <clears throat> if you're a guest here, uh, this is our first of 12 Foundations Sunday. If you were here, or maybe you follow us online, you may have heard a video that we produced with me speaking for about 19 minutes. We showed it here on January the 8th, and I covered Psalm 11, and in that psalm, that psalm is known for a question. And the question is, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And I explained that the foundations, the use of that word there in that psalm is not referring to other things like it does in other parts of Scripture. For instance, the word foundations is used to refer to the foundations of the earth. That was their perspective. The foundations of a house, the foundations of a city, the foundations of God's throne. And we could go down a list of things, but the word foundations was not used in that context for those things. What it was used for uh, is the foundations of our heart. And the foundations of our heart are the principles by which we live. It's the values, it's the foundational values of our lives uh, 
by which we live. And we could talk about how, uh, you know, many of us grew up in a time when our parents taught us, for instance, that you should, um, that you should be nice uh, to everybody, but especially the elderly. And so maybe you say, yes, sir, or no, sir. You don't hear this much anymore, but it's a good foundation to lay uh, in, the, in our hearts when we were little. Or maybe take your hat off when you go inside. <clears throat> That's a foundational principle that, you know, hey, be, have respect. Or uh, there are a lot of things that many of us grew up with that laid the foundation for how we act and how we live and what we believe. You with me? So <clears throat> we believe, we believe, when I say we, I'm including many of you, hopefully, that our culture is trying to destroy some basic biblical Christian foundations. Would you agree with me or not? You would agree with me. Good, good. Uh, that's, that's good. It's easy for me now because I know you agree with me. So thank you. And so this is what this is. Foundations, which is one Sunday a year for adults and the subsequent Wednesday and the subsequent Sunday night. So last Sunday of the month, last Sunday night of the month, training, Wednesday night discussion. Group discussion. That's how we're tackling this. Children, every single week, as you saw, they're getting something every single week. Not an entire lesson, but a little nugget. We're calling it prepped and prime. And I want to thank Aubrey, uh, really leading the way in the children's area for our whole church. So the whole church is benefiting from a lot of her, uh, her work there. And so three hashtags where uh, we encourage you to use if you're on social media, or I think you should just work these into normal conversation. I think you should say, you know, our church is doing a new series, hashtag dig deeper. Make that normal. Some of you got that. <clears throat> Some of you didn't. But be prepared. Uh, know why. Hashtag know why. I think we should start talking like this. Hashtag be prepared. And, uh, and this is a monthly topic. So one topic a month. The topic this month, as you already heard, is God is real. Or the God of the Bible is the only true God. Aubrey has reworded these so kids can understand them a little bit better. But for us, for all practical purposes, it's God is real. And, I, and this is a strategic plan from your church to attack these, uh, or defend against, maybe we should say, the attacks of the culture. Specifically, atheism. I don't know if you are aware of it, but atheism is growing. They, you know, they first they wanted to marginalize God, and now they just want him out of the way altogether. This is a growing religion, atheism. Agnosticism, which said, so I don't care about God because God doesn't care about me. I'm, I'm going to say humanism and then wokeism. And there are a lot of definitions we could discuss, uh, but I won't get into that. Progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity, which is no, not really Christianity at all. It's, it's saying I'm a Christian, but it's moving God out of the way, moving Jesus out of the way, and putting my feelings in its place. So it's really based on my feelings, my faith is, and not the Bible. And, of course, sexual perversion. This has been a cultural attack from even the biblical days where the devil wants you to believe something outside of the plan of God when it comes to human sexuality. All right? 
Now, I don't know. I know Aubrey made these uh, handouts, and there's words that you can find on there. I don't know if sexuality was on there. No, she's saying it's not. But you can write that one in, guys, if you want to. So kind of look at these topics. Uh, Look at these topics kind of like the Patriot Missile System. I don't know if we got any military folks in here. Patriot Missile System is our nation's premier ground-to-air defense system. You know, this is what we're giving to Ukraine, lots of them. A Patriot missile system is mobile. It's on the back of a truck. You know, it, it holds anywhere from four to 16 uh, missiles, and it, it, it shoots down uh, cruise missiles and other missiles that are coming for us. And it has a range as far away as 600 miles. And so it's very effective. It's very effective. It rarely fails It rarely fails, and it is at our defense. And folks, thank God for the technology that we have in America that we can defend ourselves. So if they start firing nuclear weapons, and there's been a lot of talk about that. The first time this this past uh, year than at any other time in our lifetime. Maybe when some of us were kids, we, we were afraid and we climbed under our desks. Anybody do that? So the Patriot Missile System is our defense. So kind of look at our foundations program as our defense for our faith. We want to be mobile, we want to be quick, and we want to be ready to defend whatever the devil throws at us. And this is biblical. Ephesians 6, 16 says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So think of the devil, you know, he's, he's throwing arrows at us from every direction in every venue that he has a hold of. And when I say venue, I mean your kids' programs and commercials, and I'm talking about the, your radio, I'm talking about your conversation, I'm talking about anything you can see or hear or experience, the devil is using to attack the foundations of righteous living. Are you still with me? <clears throat> So we need to be ready with our kind of our Patriot missile system uh, to attack those. And that's kind of the no why part of this, no why part of this. And so here's why we're doing this. Here's why we're doing this. First of all, because we love the Lord. We love the Lord. We love the, we love the church and we love God's word. And we realize that so many people in our culture are trashing our Lord They're trashing his word. They're trashing the church and his people. And so, because we love him, we need to stand up for him. Fellas, it's like you. If somebody started trashing your wife, would you stand back and agree with them? Would you stand back and do nothing? Or would you stand up and fight? I mean, if you went down dying, that's the right thing to do, is fight for the honor of your bride. Amen? And so, now, as Aubrey pointed out, Jesus has already fought for us. He's already won the war. You and I are just fighting battles along the way. It's, it's kind of like watching a game that you've recorded and somebody slipped up and told you that the Mountaineers finally won or the herd or whatever. <clears throat> and so now you're not nervous anymore, but you watch the game and you're like, we're down by 10, but it don't matter because we know we win in the end. Amen. So we're still fighting battles, and there's still battle scars, and there's still wounds, and there's still some people who will be taken out because of these battles. They'll throw in the towel, and the enemy is going to try to take as many of us down with him, even though 
Jesus wins in the end, and those who stay with him will also win. He wants to take your children. He wants to destroy your marriage along the way. He wants to just really destroy your family, and that's what he's doing. So we love the Lord, and secondly, we're doing this because we're, we're losing uh, younger generations to the brainwashing of the devil. <clears throat> now, you might think, no, 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 there's, the devil's not talking to my kids. Let me tell you something. I just read something just a day or two ago. We used to say uh, over the last several years that 70% of the young people who grow up in church are leaving the church when they get up in university or college. We used to say that, and I just read the other day that that, that statistic is still true. Seven out of ten young people right here who go to this church or growing up in this church, seven out of ten of them in the next ten years will throw the towel in on their faith. Now, parents, I know you're sitting close to your kids. Hopefully you are, you know, because you need that knuckle if you need that knuckle, you know, like my grandfather used to use. Uh, but don't do that real hard. Uh, you know, just as, whatever. I know you're sitting close. I know you love your kids. What if I told you your kids are going to drop out of church and drop out of the faith and throw in the towel on God over the next 10 years? You wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. And other parents didn't either. But it's happened. And so we, we, need the, we need to raise up a generation of kids that know this stuff and are ready for the flaming darts. They say, yeah, I believe this. And when a professor says, well, that's all a myth, that's all fairy tale, don't believe that stuff. Your parents have lied to you. You've been living a lie your whole life. Your kids say, oh, really? Let's talk. You, you defend your position, I'll defend mine. And the problem we're doing is we're... we're we're letting them attack and we have no defense, but we're not making them defend. And I want to tell you something, there's a whole lot more evidence for the existence of God than there is for no existence for God. I guarantee it. <clears throat> so we're doing this because we love the Lord, we're, we're concerned about our younger generations, and because we're commanded to make disciples. That's what we're here to do. Some, for some reason, over the last few decades, we thought in the church we were in the entertainment business, that we're supposed to entertain you. And we're supposed to entertain your kids and your students. And there are a lot of people, perhaps you, who've chosen a church based on how good the entertainment was. How good is the speaker? How good is the, is, are the events? How good is the music? And we've, we've gotten into the entertainment business, and we're not in the entertainment business. Now, I understand we've got to do the best we can. There's got to be some quality because that's just the truth of the matter. We need to do the best we can with every program. But Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. That's the business we're in. Now, if you're into English, this is a, this is a great passage because there's two participles used in this. A participle is a verb with an I-N-G on the end of it. Do you see two verbs up there with I-N-G on them? Those are participles. A participle explains how to accomplish the main verb, which is make disciples. How do you make a disciple? He told us, <clears throat> baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. That's how you make a disciple. Someone comes to faith in Christ, they trust the Lord for salvation, we, we baptize them. We baptize them. That's what they did in the New Testament. And, uh, and, and then we teach them. We teach them. We continue to teach them. Why do we teach them? So that they can go back and accomplish the main verb in this, which is what? Make disciples. How many disciples are you making? 
Now, I think we're off to a great start. Uh, as I said, uh, you know, our children are getting this every week, and our whole staff is zeroed in on this, and that's, uh, you know, that's what we want. So uh, we, need, we need to start at the lowest levels teaching them what they need to know so that this becomes normal speak in their life. It's normal for them. This is normal for them. Now, back in November, we preached a series called uh, The Thinking Series, where we answered some tough questions about faith and what people have. And one of those questions, the second one was, uh, does God exist? <clears throat> does God really exist? And so I, wanna, I just want to recap that a little bit. Maybe you weren't here on November 6th, or maybe you don't remember it. My experience was that on Monday morning, I don't remember what I preached about the day before. I have to go back and and look at the notes. So I know if it's hard for me to remember sometimes what I preach, it might be hard for you to remember what I preached. So uh, we started with Psalm 14. You know, when we, when we look at the Bible, I want to remind you, the Bible is not a, uh, it's not a book that proves the existence of God. Now, I, I'm going to be straight with you. I don't, I'm, I'm not disparaging the Bible. I love God's word. But it is not a book that proves God's existence. In fact, it goes beyond that. It declares God's existence. Help me out here. In the beginning, what's the next word? God. So the Bible doesn't start by saying, uh, let's talk about God and where he came from. A little boy from our St. Albans campus, a little Gladwell boy, asked me not too long ago. His dad brought him up to me and... And said, he has a question for you. I can't answer it. And I said, well, I don't know if I can answer it. What's the question? And he said, who made God? And I'm like, you could have come up with a whole bunch of other questions, but I can't answer this one because, but let me tell you something. Nobody made God. Because if somebody made God, then that somebody is greater than God. So, so nobody made God. And we, you know, there's, there's a lot of Areas where we just have to say this, this is what I believe, and the atheist has to do the same thing. But one of the things we have to believe is that God is eternal. Nobody made him. Nobody made him. He just always has been. That's hard to understand for our finite brain, but nobody made God. But God made everything. God made everything. So if you if you want to uh, if you want to take kind of be a skeptic and say well if you can't answer where God came from then uh, then you know we could go the other route and I could say well how can how can you prove that God is not eternal how can you prove that He's not eternal so uh, uh, the Bible says in Psalm 14 even though it, it's not a proof text for God the Bible says the fool says in his heart there is no God. Now, God's not just calling names here. He's saying, if you, if you do not acknowledge my existence, you're foolish. Because one day you're going to know. Because you're going to see me face to face. And you're going to have to admit it. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's look at verse 3, though, of Psalm 14. They are corrupt, these people that say there's no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. And that's where the abominable snowman comes from, right there. He's a bad guy. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. 
Together they have become corrupt. There's none who does good, not even one. So look, the picture that we have here is that God, God is kind of stooping over, looking at uh, his, his creation. And, and what he sees there, he sees some people who believe, but he sees a lot of people who say, you don't exist. And that's kind of funny because God's sitting there looking at them, and these little peon of people are saying, you don't exist. And God said, I, what do you mean I don't exist? I put you there. I put you there. I allow you to stay there. Any second, I could take your breath away and you'd drop dead. And so God is, God is saying that uh, this is, this is kind of silly, but here's what he's saying. <clears throat> he said, these people who say that I don't exist, they're not saying I don't exist because of intellectual reasons. They're saying I don't exist because of moral reasons. In other words, they don't want me to exist. That's what he said. He, he said they're corrupt. They do abominable things. None does good. Uh, they've turned aside. They've become corrupt. There's none who does good. He keeps saying that. And so if seven out of ten, listen to me, if seven out of ten young people graduate high school and then go on in the next five years, some say it takes only about five months, Deconvert, do you know this word? Deconvert, throw in the towel in their faith. If, se if that happens to seven out of 10, which statistics tell us that's happening, I think about, about five of those seven deconvert, they throw the towel in on their faith, not for intellectual reasons, but for moral reasons. They're finally out of the house. They're finally living the way they want to live. There's nobody there to put any restrictions, no boundaries, no accountability. They can do whatever they want, whenever they want, stay out as late as they want. The only restrictions are what that university puts on. And I want to tell you something. There's no universities putting many restrictions on kids these days. And they're throwing in the towel because they want to party and they want to do it without anybody telling them it's wrong. And they, that's what they want to do. So they know what's right and wrong. They grew up with the church. They grew up knowing God's word. But they don't really, you know, they just want to, just want to, you know, everybody's doing this, dad. Mom, it's, you know, it's just common. So I think about five of the seven are throwing in the towel because of moral reasons, moral reasons. Hopefully they don't do anything so stupid that they lose their life or that they kill somebody else or that they, they uh, uh, do something uh, with consequences that they'll have to live with the rest of their life. You with me? You know what I'm talking about. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but it's a dangerous path. It is a dangerous path to go down. The two of the seven, the two of the seven, maybe they're hearing a professor say, you, you, your parents lied to you and God's not real. God's not real. There's other things that aren't real they lied to you about, but God's not real. And, uh, and so they might throw in the towel because of intellectual reasons, but most people are doing it for moral reasons. That's what God's saying. That's what God's word is saying. So what we want to do is we want to build that foundation so strong that, as Aubrey pointed out a while ago, it's not just in their head, but it seeps down into their heart. And when they get to that point to where they can go party and they can go do their own thing and they can live their own life and they can make their own decisions, their head says, wait a minute, wait a minute, this isn't right. This isn't right. It might feel good. Everybody might be doing it, but this isn't right. And I think there are consequences for doing wrong. That's what we want to happen. Is that what you want to happen to your kids? Do you want your kids to be able to make an intellectual decision about a moral problem? Absolutely you do. 
You, you don't want them to make a, a feeling-based decision about a moral problem because they're going to do what feels right. But we need to do what is right. And so that's what we're trying to do here. <clears throat> now, we have a spiritual obligation. We have a spiritual obligation. We, we have the obligation, number one, to live our lives like God really exists. You say he exists. You're here in church today. Maybe you're not a believer. I hope you'll become a believer before the hour's up. But you say God exists and you're talking to someone, trying to reason with them, don't let them say, yeah, but what you're telling me didn't work for your marriage. What, what you're telling me didn't work for your life. You know, your language is just as bad as his. I know you watch the same shows. What's different about you? And, and the greatest hindrance to Christian evangelism is a, a, a bad Christian. A, a character problem. That's the greatest hindrance. Live like you believe it. Amen? Live like you believe it. That's what we have to do. If people can point around the corner and say, yeah, but <laughs> you're saying this, but you're doing this, that's called a what? A hypocrite. Now, none of us are perfect. We're going to have failures. But the friend I'm talking to, the family member I'm discussing with, ought to know also that Man, that, that tore me up, that bad decision, that mistake. I repented of that. Um, we made things right again. They ought to know that as well, and I'm doing my best. But don't let your life get in the way of your evangelism. So live like you believe it. The second thing we ought to do is we ought to equip ourselves with the evidence so that we can talk intelligently. We don't want to just say, well, I just believe it. I just believe it. I don't know that answer. I don't know about that. I just believe it. Leave me alone. No, we want to be able to intelligently discuss things with people uh, who attack our faith and who propose us doing something else. And <clears throat> there are over 20 lines of evidence alone just for the existence of God. There's a lot of evidence out there. And so here's the pattern that you need to develop, the life rhythm that we need to develop in our family. Sunday's the first day of the week. We come together on the first day of the week with other people who believe the same thing. Other people who agree that Jesus is who he said he was and the Bible is true. And we study this together. And, and then from there on, we, you know, we spend some time as a family. And we encourage you, son, to spend some time reading your own Bible and doing your own thing. And when you're able to read, when you're able to pray, we, we're going to pray together as a as a Christian family, or body of believers, rather, and then we're going to do it as a family, and then we're going to do it as an individual. That's the rhythm. But if we don't develop that rhythm, and Sunday comes along, and we're who knows where, out, you know, fielding something, or sporting something, or doing something, then that kid learns, oh, it's just Sunday. Church is just, you know, when we're available, we go. It's, it's kind of we work it into our schedule. So God has worked into our schedule. J somebody told me a story about James Dobson. <clears throat> you remember him? He took his family on a ski trip, and uh, they, were, they were gone for a couple weeks, and uh, like a Monday through Sunday to Friday. And that middle Sunday, they, were, they had been planning a church service because Dobson with his family had always done church together. But the week was terrible for skiing. It was just not good. It was bad conditions all the way through that week. And guess what? On Sunday, on Sunday, the sky opened up. It was a beautiful day. And um, 
uh, Dobson said he had, had struggled with this, but he, he remembered, uh, you know, his, the, the pattern that he had started in his family's life. But this was just the, the one day, the first day it was nice. And so he told his family, he said, you know, we normally go to church. We normally do church. If we don't go to church, we do it. We have the time of family devotion. But I know we haven't been able to ski. We paid all this money. We're out here. And so we're going we're gonna to ski today. We're going to skip it. And so he went back in and put his ski stuff in and came back out. And his family was sitting there and his son was crying. And he said, son, what's wrong? I said, we're going to go skiing. And the son said, no, dad, uh, you've had this rule all of our life. And when Sunday comes, we go to church, and you're breaking this rule. And Dobson said he felt about that big, and he dropped everything, and they had church before they went out to ski. Listen, folks, these are rhythms. These are patterns that your, your family has to establish. And if you don't establish it, then don't expect your kids to be ready, to be prepared to have those rhythms in their life. We really are only one generation away from true Christianity being extinct. It's, we're that close to it being a convenient thing, just convenience. So we need to develop these rhythms. And there's gonna come a day when your kids will not have you to drag them out of bed and to remind them there's church tomorrow. There'll come a day when they're making their own decisions. They'll decide if they're gonna go to church. And they'll decide based on, number one, what, what rhythms they grew up with, and number two, what they believe in their heart, the reason for gathering with, corporately with other Christians. So, That's what they're going to do. No one gets in on a borrowed faith. No one gets in on a borrowed faith. Now, uh, in that sermon in November, we we looked at four lines of evidence. I'm going to go through them really quick. We looked at biogenesis. Here, you want to get scientific with someone? Say, biogenesis, that's a proof for God. What do you mean? Well, some people used to believe that life would start spontaneously. It's called spontaneous generation. For instance, you could, like like all the dirty clothes in your room. You got dirty clothes in your room? Probably. Like if you leave those laying long enough, something's going to crawl out of them, right? That's what your mom says. This stinks. People used to believe that, you know, a pile of trash and then lightning could strike that and create some kind of a, a chemical reaction and then life would crawl out. And eventually that became you and me. Spontaneous generation. Well, Louis Pasteur debunked that myth. He debunked it. Life doesn't come from non-life. Life can only come from life. Life can only come from life. And so where did, uh, where did Adam and Eve come from? They came from God who was eternally alive. That's where we go back to and on down. That's biogenesis. It's a great argument. Secondly is design. We're going to hear a little bit about that tonight. Design is a great line of evidence for you. What design, you know what that is. You look at your body, you look at nature, you look at so many things, and you're like, how did that happen like that? How does this work? And, and, you, and you come to the conclusion, and by the way, a lot of atheistic scientists have come to faith because of the argument from design. They look at things and say, there, there's just no way. And they can see things that you and I can't see through microscopes and telescopes, and they're like, there's no way that just happened. And so there's, if there's evidence for design, that means there has to be a designer. The argument from morality, or let's say evidence. We don't want to argue with people. We just want to present the evidence. Morality is a great one. How do we know what's right and wrong? How do we know? 
you know, you teach your kids when they're little, but they, they know if, if they punch their brother in the nose, that's wrong. They know that. So they either did it maliciously or defensively, but it was still wrong, still wrong. And so in eight, there is a, an uh, uh, ability within us to know right and wrong, to recognize beauty, to have a conscience, and to abide by a standard. And let me say something here. I think we as Christians in this country need to give some serious thought to the implications morally of a godless society. Listen, if you take God out of society, it's no holds barred. It's whatever. If you take God out, and whatever I'm doing is right, and you have to accept it. You with me? And so there, morality and God are the basis for our law, for the rule of law. You take him out, you don't have any ground to stand on. Such are the paths of all who forget God. The hope of the godless shall perish now, I'm going to jump down to the last one here, subjective experience. This is kind of what Luke was talking about when Luke was up here. Your subjective experience, nobody can argue with. If you used to go a certain way and God got a hold of you and you, you got a hold of his word, you heard his word and you repented, you changed your life and now you're a different man. You don't do drugs. You're not cheating on your spouse. You're not cheating on anything. You're trying to do right. You're not perfect. But you're living right. And somebody who used to know you when you were over here looks at you and says, what happened to you? And you say, I found Jesus, brother. And you need him too. And they say, well, what does that mean? Well, I'll show you what it means. That's a subjective experience with objective results. So uh, if, if, you know, if, if God speaks to you through his word, and he does, then, the, then he must be alive. He must be real. Something is, is moving you to change and to do better. And uh, uh, people will tell you that long and lasting change, if it's an addiction or whatever it is, can only happen through Jesus. Can only happen through Jesus. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. It's like we said last week, we need a craving for God. Now, maybe these things work, and there are many others, but maybe they don't. Maybe someone is still unconvinced. I'm going to give you one more before I close, one more line of evidence that you might be able to use in conversation. Now, this is not the best line. It's not scientific. It's more what we would call philosophical. But it's, I think it's easy to understand, although after I explained it last service, I thought, man, that was so confusing. So hopefully you can see through the way I have it written down. And I wanna, this might be a last chance for some of you with your friends or family members, all right? And I want to jump off of the story told about the rich young ruler. Remember the story? This is Mark 10. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the young man said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. That's interesting. And said to him, you lack one thing. 
Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. And maybe the saddest verse in the Bible, one of the saddest, disheartened by the saying, young man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, we could, we could look at this story from a lot of different perspectives, but I just want to look at it from one perspective, and here's the perspective. In our purpose to talk to someone about there being a, really being a God to whom we are accountable, <clears throat> I think this man took a big gamble and lost. Everything I know about God, everything I know about the Bible, everything I know about what Jesus said, if this man walked away from God, if he walked away from Jesus, he walked away from God and never came back, never repented, never gave up his possessions, never, never sold what he had and, and followed Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we have to sell what we have. This is the principle here. He was holding on to something that prevented him from holding on to Jesus. If he did that, then that man today is eternally lost. He took a big gamble. He could have all he had and hold on to it, or he could give it up and have Jesus. Now, ha having Jesus doesn't seem like uh, the most attractive thing. I mean, he's going to tell me what to do, how to live, who to give up. You know, he's not as attractive as he used to be. I hope you understand what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. To a lot of people, the world is more attractive than Jesus. Because the world makes me feel good. The world, the world is lining my pockets. The world, you know, they, they, they think I'm important. And Jesus becomes my master. I, you know, I have to. So he took a big gamble. I think he lost. And so that leads me to your last line of defense. If it comes down to it, they won't listen to scientific arguments or, or lines of reasoning or historical or, or whatever, uh, you can go to this one. This is called Pascal's Wager. You may have heard of this. <clears throat> Blaise Pascal was a 17th century mathematician, philosopher, and theologian. He was a uh, Christian scientist of his day. And after he died, they found some of his writings that were stored away that were never published. And they found a book of writings, and it was titled Thoughts. Thoughts, in, in his language, thoughts. And he had just written some things down that he, you know, that he was just thinking out loud. They never got published until uh, posthumously after he died. And they found in this book of thoughts, they found this uh, page or two to help you persuade someone to believe in God. So here's how it goes. And you should look this up in case I don't do a good job. He said, either God exists or he does not exist, right? Either he does or he doesn't. That's what he said. In this game of life, since we are alive, we have to make a choice. You can't avoid this decision. If you put off the decision whether or not God is real, Jesus is real, the Bible is true, if you put that off, you're deciding that it's not. You with me? <clears throat> That's the decision you're making. You cannot avoid this decision. You have to decide. Is God real? Is the Bible true? Or is he not? And is it all a lie? So if God does exist, if God is true, 
Maybe you can't prove it scientifically, but if God is true and you say, yes, I believe God is real, and yes, I want to obey the Bible and I want to follow Jesus, and so you believe in him and you live accordingly, then when you die, you win big. Wouldn't you say we win big? Heaven? Wouldn't you say that's a great win? Amen. If indeed God does exist and you disagree and say, no, I I don't believe there's a God. And I see lots of people on my Twitter feed and out there who are taking their chances. And they're saying, nah, I don't think so. If there's a God, why this? If there's a God, why that? Why would he allow this? Why would he allow that? Well, this, this allows you not to even have to talk about those things. Either he exists or he doesn't. We can explain why this happened and why that happened and all that stuff. But he either does or he doesn't. And if he does, and you say he doesn't, but he really does, you lose big. Would you say an eternity in hell is losing big? I hope so. We need to preach on hell a little bit more. If indeed God does, number five, if God does not exist and you disagree and say, yes, he does, and I'm going to follow the Bible and I'm going to follow Jesus, then you lose little to nothing. God doesn't exist, but you've lived as a Christian which I propose to you in another sermon, that's the best way to live, right? I mean, is there anything about Christian living or Christian values that is bad? I can't think of a thing. I can think of some Muslim beliefs and values that are bad. I can think of some other things that are bad. I can't think of one thing in Christianity that's bad for you. It's the best way to live. So if there's no God, you've still lived a virtuous life. You lose, you lose nothing. You lose nothing. If God does not exist, and you agree he does not exist, God doesn't exist, I don't care about it, then you lose all world to gain and win nothing. You win nothing. Pascal says the better wager is to believe God exists. I mean, if you're waging, you want to bet on eternity in heaven and live accordingly. In this choice, If you believe in God, you either win big or lose nothing. But if you, the bad wager, if you believe that God does not exist, if God does not exist, you either, if there is a God, you either lose big or win nothing. You guys understand? The better wager, Pascal says, is to believe and to bet that God exists. And if you can't, endeavor, he says, to believe. That's Pascal's wager. And just like the rich young ruler, all of us have to make a choice with our life. And here's the thing of it, folks. You can't just get in with one foot and say, I'm just going to believe a little bit and call on God when I need him. Like a 911 call. You're either all in or you're not in. Did you hear me? You're either all in or you're not in. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord of all. Help me out at all. I hope that's the choice you're betting on, that he is Lord of all. And there is coming a day of reckoning. Young people, you're gonna have a lot thrown at you coming your way. I hope you'll build into your life what you need to stay faithful in all coming storms. And your parents are gonna help you and your church is gonna help you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this message. Thank you that you're real, that our prayers aren't just bouncing off the ceiling Thank you, God, that 
You hear all of us, young people, old people, everybody in between, and you care about us. You care so much that you sent your son to die on a cross. And if we believe in him, we, we trust and obey him, we can, we can spend eternity with you in heaven. I pray, God, that you would help us to do that today and to take what we know and what we've learned in our life and make disciples of others as we go. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. And if you have a question about your next step of faith, come talk to me as we sing.